College baseball fans, it's time for the D1 Baseball Podcast with Mike Rooney, Aaron Fitt, and Kendall Rogers. Let's win every podcast. Now, here's the pride of the Newtown Edgemont Little League, Coach Rooney. Hello and welcome to a special edition of the D1 Baseball Podcast. I am your host, Michael Patrick Rooney, and as always, uh, today's podcast brought to us by our good friends at S2 Cognition. S2 Cognition delivers a revolutionary approach to helping athletes understand how in-game decisions impact their performance from the youth levels all the way to Major League Baseball. So thanks again to our friends at S2 Cognition. Uh, today, I am joined by the, the the Thomas Edisons of D1 Baseball, the founders the great Aaron J. Fit, the great Kendall J. Rogers, and gentlemen, we have a special guest, Jay Johnson, the the uh, fairly newly minted head coach uh, at LSU. Jay, so I'll start with this: Is it true you've been at LSU sixteen months? That doesn't feel real to me. Yeah, I don't have the date, but yeah, it's been a fast fifteen or sixteen for sure. <laughs> Seriously, you've packed it in. Incredible. A whirlwind. Yeah, it's, good, uh, it's good to see you guys. I think the only time we're all together is when we're in Omaha. So, uh, yeah, good to be on with you. Yeah. Well, the, well good, Jay- the good thing about those 16 months is LSU fans are very patient. So that, that kind of dovetails nicely with you. Absolutely. They're certainly excited. We like that. We like excited. We like excited fans, Jay, right? <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. Honestly, I don't think you could ask for better, you know, when you talk about supporting college baseball and you guys have done so much for trying to push it forward um, and make it a bigger deal. It's certainly a big deal here and, and makes it the best place in the country to coach. Before we start the firing range, Jay, on you, Fitzy, your bias sign behind you, is that LSU fans that gave you that term, or was it a different SEC fan base? It was actually Kendall's beloved Texas Aggies. Uh, way back, was probably, it really? Probably 15 years ago, some wow. Aggie fan got mad at me and called me biased with a T. And <laughs> my, my coworkers got a kick out of that. And that, that sign, Connor Glassy made that sign. It's been here ever since. Uh, Runes, I will not repeat what LSU fans told me about fit. So just, just putting that out there. Yeah, that's that's off the record stuff there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, they probably called you. you. You're like Jay Fitzy. Like, technically, you're a Yankee. But you've been a Californian. And now you're a, you know, you're a Carolina hipster. Um, that's you, you and Jay share that in common. You guys have lived in, di- in different parts of the country now. Well, yeah. And back when, when Jay was at San Diego, um, I'll never forget it. I was so excited. I think they had the ABCA convention out there one year and, and I was going to play golf with, with coach Johnson and Eric Valenzuela. <laughs> and then Jay big timed me. I, you know, I heard oh, all these stories about oh, Jay's oh, game. Oh, he, he no-showed. He no-showed. There's, there's actually it. a good story behind that which you didn't Uh-oh. even pick up on. I was actually speaking at the convention that day. So I yeah, had a- big time. <laughs> you big time me. That's the definition of big timing. I'll tell you uh, what, you come down here and cover us. I know you and Kendall have to arm wrestle for that, but I'll make, I'll make up, I'll make up that round of golf for you. All right. You're on. Uh, that's awesome. Jay, Jay, I'm kind of curious, like of all the places you've been, we were kind of talking earlier about being at, you know, San Diego, Reno, uh, Tucson, like what's the, like the first thing in Baton Rouge that you learned or like whether it was like food or culture or something that you're kind of like, well, that's really interesting because we all know, like we all love Louisiana, but it's like one of the more interesting places in America, right? Yeah, I think the first thing that stood out is, you know, we opened up, we opened up our inner squad games. And so mm-hmm. our first practice, team practice last year, we're in the middle of a drill, base running at second base. And I'm like totally locked into what's going on with the team. And people are telling me like, hey, a bunch of people are going to show up for this. 
and I'm going, <laughs> all right, we'll see, you know, what's up. And I'm like in the middle of the practice doing all this stuff. And then we're breaking like, you know, like 10 minutes before we're going to play. And I turn around and there was like 1500 people sitting up there and I had <laughs> so no, awesome. no idea. So there are fans are awesome. Like, and in this fall, it's been great. Obviously we're excited about our team, but um, I think we've had seven scrimmage games and there's been a uh, high number of them uh, at each one of them. That's awesome. Uh, you know, I want to follow up on that. The, the, the transition from being, you know, a West coast guy to being at LSU, you know, what's it like being, I mean, you know, being a celebrity in your town. I mean, like I, coach Maneri used to talk about this going out to dinner and people would come up to him. I mean, I'm sure, uh, I'm, I'm sure you, you're probably getting a taste of that too. And just your, your stature in, in the community and, and also, you know, dealing with, we, we, we kind of joke about the fan expectations, but we all know that's a pressure cooker job. You know I mean? It's one of the two probably pressure cooker jobs in the country. Um, how has that gone so far? How are, how are you, how are you adjusting to that new reality? Yeah, I love it. Honestly, I wouldn't have it any other way because you can't have it both ways. If you have indifference, you're not supported at the level that you need to. And um, I think what I've learned about the people of Louisiana is, you know, you mentioned the word blue collar earlier. Um, that's what it is. And so I think they appreciate work. I think they appreciate attention to detail. Um, I think um, if I'm trying to convince them of anything is there's not one of them as much as they care about the Tigers getting back to Omaha and winning a national championship, they don't care about it as much as I do. And I have that reflected in how our staff works, how our players work, how we represent school. And I think we're off to a really great start with that. Um, I've had nothing but positive, you know, really proud of, of what we did last year with the team that we had and uh, obviously recruited well. And we're off to a good start. And so I'm enjoying that part of it, whether it's being out at dinner or walking through Tiger Stadium on a football Saturday and taking pictures with people and, and really, you know, having them behind what we're doing. And uh, it's really exciting to be a part of that. Hey, Jay, you alluded to your staff a second ago. And so, again, it's, it's crazy. You've been, at, you've been at LSU for 16 months or so, and you've already had to redo your coaching staff. Now, based on the profile of LSU's program and what, you know, the excitement you guys are generating, that, that's part of the deal, right? Like, uh, you know, Dan Fitzgerald becomes the head coach at, at Kansas and JK, Jason Kelly becomes the head coach at Washington. And so, you know, like the, the thought is, man, that's, that's a gut punch. Well, you go and take a major league pitching coach in Wes Johnson. He's, you know, coaching the pitchers for the first place twins now he's coaching it for lsu and then josh jordan you know who has come over from duke i mean duke has had one of the great turnarounds in college baseball in the last 25 years and josh's fingerprints were were all over that so my question is how is that um i would imagine you guys are having to learn how to work together just like you and fitz and jk had how's that transition like what are the areas is it are you are you filling different roles with this new staff or does it feel almost similar to the previous staff yeah I think it's it's been interesting it's it's honestly like you're repeating your first year in, in some ways I will mm -hmm. tell you I'm looking forward to a summer where I'm not the head coach the recruiting coordinator the pitching coach <laughs> the director of baseball operations over the summertime that's been that was has been a little bit crazy but you know, last year, you know, hiring, you know, Dan Fitzgerald, uh, he and I had been friends for a long time. I knew how quality a coach he was. Obviously, he had a lot to do with the success of Dallas Baptist. He was connected in this region. You know, recruiting Texas will be incredibly important for us. 
and helped us really get off to a good start. You know, I've competed against Jason Kelly for years. And uh, I think maybe one of the underappreciated things that he did was the job he did with our pitching staff last year. I mean, we really had to work and piece it together to win 40 games, to finish in, in the top four in the SEC. And he deserves a lot of credit. So I was happy for both of those guys. I mean, they are ready to be head coaches. I can't wait to see the success their programs are going to have. Now, interestingly enough, as I was going through the process of assembling the staff, um, I was very close to getting Wes here initially and um, the first time. And so I was almost wasn't even going to circle back on it uh, when Coach Kelly left to go to Washington. I'm certainly glad I did. Uh, the way I've explained having Wes here is if you think about college football and that's going on right now, you know, whoever has the best defensive coordinator, you know, in college football, that's a huge lift for that program. Like that's how I feel about Wes, you know, with our, our pitchers and, you know, the improvements that everybody will see right away with how guys are throwing the baseball, uh, they're, it's remarkable. And um, he's already making a huge impact, um, how he communicates, how he teaches, how organized he is, how invested he is in the players. And the knowledge base is really second to none. And so I, I can't even quantify how great I think that's going to be for us. And, and Mike, you mentioned with Josh, um, I've always respected people that have had high level of success where it's not easy to have success. And, you know, when you think about Duke, you think about basketball and coach K and national championships and all those, well, I mean, they got to two super regionals in the last four or five years. They had three top 10 recruiting classes. And, and really what stands out about him is, is the work ethic. And obviously at the, at the level we're trying to win at and compete at, uh, you know, the recruiting is very intense. And so to have somebody alongside me that works, as hard as Josh does is, has been great. Yeah. We were talking earlier just about kind of your pathway, you know, being at Point Loma as a head coach, going to Nevada, going to Arizona, now LSU. It's kind of a very unorthodox track going from those three programs to LSU, but like looking at each step of the, of the way to Baton Rouge, like what's kind of one thing that you've learned from each stop about yourself as, as a coach, like what's at each of those stops, like just whether or not your approach with the players off the field, you know, your, your, your coaching on the field, what have you kind of learned about yourself at each of those stops? Yeah, I think um, it's every spot's been amazing. I have not mm -hmm. had a bad stay anywhere I've been, um, you know, at Point Loma. I mean, that's where I played. It's right on the Pacific ocean. It's San Diego. Uh, I was a head coach when I was 26 or 27 years old. Um, was thrown right into the fire of, you know, making all the game decisions, you know, coaching third, recruiting, I mean, running the offense. I mean, not a lot of coaches get that kind of training ground. And I think that really, really helped me. And uh, one of the hardest decisions I ever made was actually leaving there to go work for Rich Hill at San Diego because I liked being a head coach. But, you know, being with Coach Hill for eight years um, was probably the most important piece of my development as a coach. I think um, he is as good as anybody in terms of uh, building a program and putting together the pieces, hiring great assistants, obviously having an opportunity to be there with, with Eric Valenzuela, who's obviously one of my best friends. Like that was a really critical time. And then when I went to Nevada, it was, it just, it felt like it was time. You know, I didn't, didn't rush mm -hmm. through the San Diego thing. Um, really proud. I mean, we got to the NCAA tournament like six times there and then when I went to Nevada I thought that was a place where you could win and uh, there was a blueprint and a model that maybe I could add something to it and I think what I learned there is 
you know, having the right plan is one thing, but having the right plan for the place that you're at is ultimately going to make you successful. And uh, that was a good stop. Honestly, didn't even really want to, to leave there at that time. I think, mm -hmm. um, you know, we were well set up to be good for several years. Um, and then going to Arizona, that was honestly, that was like a dream job. You know, I mean, being a yeah. West Coast baseball guy and obviously, you know, playing for a national championship, getting to Omaha twice, you know, winning the first outright Pac-10 or Pac-12 championship in like 29 years. Um, I'm really proud of what we did there. And um, that was a, a tough one to move on from as well, just because of the relationship and the connection of the players. We lost that first game to Vanderbilt in 12 innings, which I think was, you know, one of the best college baseball games in recent college baseball history. And I really believe if somehow we would have found a way to get on top, we would have played for the, the national title in, in the 21 College World Series. And then to go from that um, to here, I think this one was just about challenging myself. I mean, you, you mentioned how maybe uncommon it was for somebody from the to, you know, come out here and then, and then dive into the, the deepest part of the ocean, if you will, and, and go for it with, you know, the best players and the best programs and the best coaches in college baseball. And uh, I'm excited about that. You know, we definitely have a plan. We definitely have a way. We execute that on a daily basis. And to getting to do that at a place like LSU, where you have the support that you need to put all those pieces together is really, really exciting. And it's, it's challenged, but it's been a lot of fun. You know, I got to say, one of my favorite things that you did in Arizona uh, was the uh, the video, the Major League video, because, of course, I don't know if our, our viewers and listeners <laughs> know, uh, Major League was filmed right there at High Corbett, right? Uh, or at least part of it was. And so uh, you guys did a great video. And I, I got to say, your acting chops, you know, Coach Johnson as Lou Brown, I mean, that, that blew me away. Uh, I, you know, I, I want to know, did you go to acting school, first of all? <laughs> and, and, and secondly, can we expect some kind of an encore performance here in Baton Rouge? No, um, that was a one-time deal. Um, definitely retired after after that performance. But I feel like Mike Rooney is like this. Like you know, there's a few movies when they come on TV, you you always stop and you watch them. And so like, through my childhood, Major League was probably one of those. Oh and, yeah. Uh, I gotta credit my dad. He actually had like a really good Lou Brown impersonation. So no uh, way. Yeah. So. You know, Major League, whether it's uh, Wedding Crashers, you know, Talladega Nights, you guys know all the ones that you always stop and watch when they, they come. Major League was that one. And, and that was cool. I mean, it was filmed there in Tucson and had some fun with that. Had some players that had really good personalities, you know, on those first couple teams at, at Arizona. I've got a more, a, le a less frivolous follow up, I guess. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, again, going, looking back at, at your previous stops, of course, everyone knows you coached Chris Bryant. Uh, at, at San Diego, and I remember spending some time with, with you and Chris. Even after you had, you had left for the Nevada job, you came back with, uh, for the Golden Spikes uh, presentation at Dodger Stadium, and just being around you guys, you could kind of see the rapport and everything else and could tell how much uh, you meant to each other. Uh, how much do you think that – you know, that player, I mean, uh, the, the, the role that he played in, in, in your development and, you know, what you were able to do to help him along in his career. I mean, you got a superstar player like that come through, you know, a couple, maybe a couple times in a career if you're lucky, right? Um, that had to be a pretty important 
thing for you. Yeah. It, I mean, the whole thing was unbelievable recruiting him, getting through the draft in high school. And then it was like three years of just like, you can't do better than that. It's probably how LSU fans feel about like Dylan Cruz, like right, right now. And so I'm lucky, you know, I've had a, a couple guys, but with Chris, I mean, you mentioned it, Aaron, like, you know, one player's decision can change the outlook of a program or frankly, my coaching career. And, um, I will always be grateful for him. Um, he's, his ability is only matched by the quality of person he is, the character he is. And people ask me uh, all the time, like, do you guys still talk? Do you stay in touch? And it's like, yeah, but I'm, I'm not bothering that dude. He has done way for, more for me than I could ever, ever ask for. And uh, he's a great model to point to for our players of like, hey, man, this was the best player. That is a great person. That was a great team leader. I mean, this is the model of what it looks like. So our conversations are, are, are pretty simple. He just had twins. Um, so my wife sent them, you know, LSU Tiger pajamas. So uh, his dad, Mike Bryant, sent a picture back, like, Coach, they're ready for you. But I think we're going to make these guys golfers instead of baseball players. So, um, <laughs> it, is, it is funny because, I mean, you, people always talk about, oh, this kid's so humble, that kid's so humble. And, you know, that kid is – ridiculously humble for as good as he was. I mean, just like getting to know him for the, cause his three years were, were the same three years I was living in Southern California. So just getting to be around him was just such a treat because he was just the most down to earth superstar you'll ever meet in your life. It was unbelievable. Yeah. I, I, we opened with Vanderbilt his freshman year and his first at bat in college, he got, he singled off Sonny Gray. I think that was 2011. Yeah. They had, I was a, there for that game. Yeah. They had a remarkable pitching staff. And then I think he struck out like six or seven times in a row. And then that's the only time I ever remember him having any difficulty handling, handling college baseball. I think the next game he hit like two homers and we were, we were off and off and rolling, but uh, great player, great person. Um, and I've been very fortunate kind of at each stop, you know, we've had kind of a marquee guy like that, that has, has really lifted our teams to be successful. Love it. Hey, before I ask Jay uh, my next question, I want to, uh, to all the listeners out there, we've got a really cool partnership that's on the new side, and that's with the ABCA, the American Baseball Coaches Association. And just want to encourage any coaches out there that are listening, make your plans to join all of us in Nashville for that convention. It is an unbel- it, it's the best baseball weekend of the year in many ways. This year, it's going to be January 5th through the 8th, 2023. It's at the Gaylord Opryland in Nashville. Um, the, the Opryland is actually sold out. And so I'll just pump my hotel, the courtyard down the street. So if you want to come hang with coach Rooney, I'll be at the <laughs> courtyard. Um, but that just tells you how quickly this thing is filling up. It, you know, the ABCA show, it's the biggest and best baseball weekend of the year, like I said. And, you know, the, the guys at the ABCA are telling us this could be the largest and I would anticipate it will be the largest in the 79 year, year history of the event. Um, and so get your hotel rooms booked ASAP. Um, and, and again, I'm talking to the young coaches like a Jay Johnson when, when he's at Point Loma, a Mike Rooney when he's at Malvern Prep. I get it. There is nothing in your budget that says go to Nashville for the ABCA. Have a beef and beer, have a car wash, sell umbrellas, do what you got to do. It is absolutely worth it. It is uh, the, the investment you'll be able to make in yourself, the investment you'll be able to make in your team. And again, I... I, I say this every time. My favorite part of the convention is that first talk that kicks it off on Friday morning. It's the coach that won the Division One National Championship the year before. Fully anticipate hearing Jay Johnson give that talk uh, someday in the next. Jay, I'm going to give you like 
six years uh, before uh, I expect you to. So you might start making some index cards, um, <laughs> you know, sooner than later. But uh, but again, really appreciate our, our, our partnership with the ABCA. These guys it, it do an awesome job and, and we're thrilled to be uh, partnered up with them. So, Jay, let me ask you this question. I kind of want to ask you about pitching and shortstop because those are kind of the the hot ticket items. But I'm just I can't do it because I'm so blown away by the potential lineup that you guys could have. Now, I may mess up some of the names, but like Dylan Cross, Braden Jobert. Is Braden back or is he gone? He is back. Yep. Trey Morgan, Tommy White, Gavin Dugas. Gavin's back, right? Back. Josh Pearson, who I don't know that much about. He kind of flies under the radar, but he's got 20 home runs written all over him. I mean, you guys could hit like 7,000 home runs. And I know your offense, Jay, is way more than that. But my question is this. With with those raw materials, and we're missing names, like how do you put this soup together? How do you wh- – what is this lineup going to look like if it all goes according to plan? It's a good question. And I usually don't like rush those types of decisions. I mean – when we put together how we build the team and how we develop throughout the fall and the year, I always go back to the beginning of like coaches, if your players don't know anything and we Mm. go step one or step A to Z, if you will, and not jump to ST, you know, that type of thing. And we're not, we're just not there yet. I think what we're trying to do is coach them all along to success and then maybe see who's, you know, mental game mindset tools, skill set offensively and defensively rise up and form the best team. You know, um, Coach Bertman um, talked about it all the time of putting the best collective team together, uh, the best nine, not necessarily the nine best um, players. And I think our team will probably look like that this year. I think there's some nice flexibility relative to left-handed, right-handed, speed, power, solid hitting skills, defense, where uh, it's going to be fun to work it out. And right now, um, you know, I've always thought you're never as deep as you think that you are. I think this team on a position player side of it, um, which is exciting for the now and for the future, there's some real, you know, high-end talent for this year. And then there's some some real future stars that, you know, are going to be the next, maybe not Dylan Cruz, because I think he's kind of on a planet of his own, but, it's exciting to look at, at how the pieces fit together for now and in the future. Love it. Hey, Jay, so I'm going to tee you up on our next, uh, our final discussion point, and then I'm going to do a promotion while, uh, while you're thinking. So um, any of the four of us are going to get to be commissioner of college baseball for the next 12 months. And um, what I want you to do, Jay, is, uh, and then I'll, uh, I'll, I'll do my read here. I want you to give us a topic that you want us as, wait, we're, let's, we'll be a four-headed commissionership. I want you to give us a topic that you want us to dig into right away, whether that's scholarships, NIL, coaching, uh, size of coaching staffs, postseason, um, whatever it is. Now, while you're thinking of your topic, I, I want to encourage all the listeners, we are right in the thick of fall report season. And I can make an argument that it's the single best thing we do at D1 Baseball. These fall reports are awesome. It's a great way to turn your page, turn the page on 2022. You know, I've, I've read the one, Fitzy, you did on Oklahoma State. It was awesome. I read the one that Joe Healy did on Charlotte recently. I can't wait to dig into the one on Evansville. There's one on NC State. Every day there's new fall reports. By the way, uh, spoiler alert, you Arkansas Razorback fans, that fall report is eminent. That one always generates a lot of buzz. So, again, we want to encourage everyone to get their subscription to D1 Baseball. 
Use the code FALL22 at checkout. You'll get 20% off. So that's FALL22, all caps if you want. At checkout, you'll get 20% off. And uh, again, no better time than right now to get a sub to the, the website. All right, Jay, four-headed commissionership. What would you like us to dig into here? Yeah, I got probably two things. I think the first thing would be expanding the coaching staff. Um, mm-hmm do five full-time coaching staff members. I think um, it sounds like we maybe have some positive momentum to, to get the volunteer assistant uh, a full-time position. Uh, but I think, you know, in terms of running a program and, and staffing, that doesn't necessarily help the player-to-coach ratio and filling all the needs of the program. So that would be number one. I would like to be able to elevate to, to go up to five. And then number two would be a make baseball a headcount sport where, um, you know, it's essentially it's an equal equal playing field. Everybody gets a, a full scholarship. Um, I don't know what that number is or should be, you know, 27, 35. Uh, but that would be the other one. I think, um, you know, putting together a team creatively, was that's something I always like the challenge of. But it would be a lot simpler if it was just about what is the best fit for the player. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. for the program and, and money wasn't a factor. Jay, the, the, let's, let's do the first one, the coaches piece. The, this was interesting. Someone brought us, I think Rob Vaughn made this point that there was discussion around. So, so just to clarify, you're saying five paid coaches, head coach, four assistants, everyone can recruit off campus. Everyone can coach the players like five uh, equal, equal shares, if you will. Yeah, I mean, as far as the recruiting piece and who can and can't go off campus, I think um, maybe it's because I've had to ride solo for the majority of the summer, the last two summers, but um, I don't even care if anybody can go out to recruit. I just think having five paid assistants, or excuse me, five full-time coaches, if somebody had to always be on campus, I'd be all for that because Mm -hmm. that's a juggling act when you're bringing players in for summer school, trying to get them set out settled into being here for the first time yet you're trying to go to Georgia and recruit. I think if you had uh, five coaches, even if one of them couldn't go out on the road, you could have all your needs covered. You could have all your positions covered. You could be really engaged with everybody academically, socially Um, there. Every need of the program could be filled. I think if we had that. Yeah. Yeah. What's really interesting is I was just talking, actually, Jason's the last time I talked to you, I was just talking to a couple athletic directors the other day, and there seems to be a lot of momentum on uh, having the ability to let anyone on your coaching staff instruct players on the field. So whether it's like you're, you know, because a lot of these schools that are hiring, just like football, they're starting to hire, you know, either older coaches or younger coaches who are just trying to get on with bigger programs. They're hiring them in analytical roles or, you know, development roles. And there's actually a lot of discussion, a lot of momentum on just allowing all these people to be on-field instructors and and having rules on the number of coaches that can go out and recruit. So having like a cap on people that recruit, but no cap on people that can actually on-field coach. And and let's be honest. I'm not going to ask Jay to comment on this, but let's be honest. Like we all have heard it. There's plenty of programs out there where these, these guys are already out there coaching these players at practice. So like, it's not something that that's going to happen. It's going to be some huge revelation. Like it's, it's already going on. It's just going to be more, more official from the NCAA level. So there's a lot of momentum around kind of those two things right now. But the one thing I can tell you guys that I think is an absolute is getting rid of the volunteer position, because there's a lot of concern right now with the NCAA and the NCAA transformation committee 
on lawsuits when it comes to the volunteer position because there are a lot of these programs out there where some of these guys are literally working at a car dealership and they're going and coaching college baseball. And there's there's a lot of concern at the NCAA level that eventually somebody's going to get wise and go after the NCAA for essentially having somebody employed for free at some of these programs. And so I think you're going to see the volunteer position absolutely go away. It'll just absorb into a full-time position. But uh, the volunteer role will end up going away more than likely. Hey, Jay and Fitzy, let me ask you as a follow-up to the question of this, because this is an interesting wrinkle. Any concerns, let's say we go to five, five paid coaches, Mm -hmm. any concerns that, uh, you know, Mike Rooney is, is coaching at Malvern Prep University who just, moved to division one ironically or miraculously um and so i take my assistant ej moyer there's a plug for you coach moyer and i just put him on the road right like i just he doesn't coach players ever he's just full-time recruiter um and or or maybe i i do that with two guys any um jay and fitzy any concern on that or like hey whatever however you want to strategize in your program May the best person win. We've got a cap on coaches. It's greater. And so, you know, how people use the resources, go for it. Fitzy, why don't you go first? What's your what's your initial take on that? My, my take is what you just said. I think less regulation on that is mm-hmm. better. I mean, you know, it, it, people can have different roles and um, – it's up to the individual coaches. You know, if, if you want to take a job that requires you to just be on the road recruiting all the time, I mean, that's a choice you're making for your own quality of life. And I get like, we have to, we do, I think we should be concerned about coaches quality of life, but like you kind of know what you're getting into there. And look, I mean, there's scouts all over the country who are spending hundreds of days a, a year on the road mm-hmm. in their Marriott points. Why, why, you know, what's the big deal if, if college coaches do the same? Yeah. I, I have no, no issue with that. I, I think, Program should be allowed the flexibility to do what they want. Yeah. What's your take, Jay? I think, um, you know, just, you know, being a head coach, I think I'm always trying to create advantages for our team and our program and like how you structure everything. You know, I think it impacts winning, losing the success that you have. And so I just say, let's, let's get as many as we can in here and, and let programs operate how they choose to operate. If somebody wants to hire a super recruiter um, or a on the field guru and, uh, Go for it and, and let them run. Yeah. Hey, let me let me uh, let me do one final topic. I, I think what you said about the headcount, uh, Jay, that like we're all in on that, right? More scholarship for yeah. baseball players, whether that's headcount, just move the number, all of the above. I mean, it's 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 a no brainer in a lot of ways. So I've been thinking a lot about the postseason recently. It's in the headlines. Um, you know, it's interesting right now. If you look at college baseball, 64 out of 305 Division One teams make it. That's 21% of our teams make the postseason. In the NFL, it's 44%. In Major League Baseball, it's 40% of teams make the postseason. In the NBA, this is kind of ridiculous. 67% of teams make the postseason. And then in the NHL, 50% of teams make the postseason. Now, I don't want to characterize those leagues as idiotic, right? Because there's a there's a reason they're doing that. The, the way you grow the profile of your sport is you take your best property, the playoffs, and you grow that. And even if Division One baseball shrank to 200 teams, which is, you know, something that could happen, still, you know, 72 divided by 200, if I pumped it up to 72, that's still 36%. So, so that, that there, there's a lot there, you know, like, do we like 32 hosts? Do we like regionals? Do we like playing games? You know, all those types of things. Why don't we start with you, Jay? Do you have a strong opinion on this or? Very strong, <laughs> very oh, yeah. strong. 
opinion on this. I think it was 2019, you know, we didn't make the tournament at Arizona and we'd won 13 of our last 14 games. You know, we got off to a, a tough start. I think we lost to uh, UCLA and they were the number one national seed. And then Spencer Torkelson and ASU, like we, we kind of dug ourselves a hole early in the Pac-12 schedule, but then kind of rallied all of the way back. And I really believe had that team got into the NCAA tournament, we could have done something, you know, even mm-hmm. as, as their fifth place team in the Pac-12. Um, there's stories like that every year. I mean, yeah, your Nevada team is one that was heartbreaking. Right. Yeah. That was a really so, good team. Yeah. And then, I mean, last year, like think of, think of Ole Miss got left out of the NCAA tournament. They won the national championship. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, it's, it's kind of a funny story. We played them in the super regional the year before at Arizona and we won and the morning they were leaving, I went over to the hotel to say goodbye to my dad. He was staying at the same hotel. I ran into uh, Mike Clement and Carl Lafferty, and I was like, hey, you, you guys are going to win a national title next year. Like, I mean, I literally said that to them. And, uh, like, you, your team is, is loaded. They were all You knew they were all coming back. And um, I think you guys ranked them preseason number one um, or something, or somebody did. And, um, yeah, think about that. Like, it, had they not – and they were as close to – in or out probably as you possibly could be. And that's an NCAA tournament team. And yeah. I just think it gets everybody in that deserves to be in. I don't know if it's five team regionals. I don't know if it's like eight more teams that, you know, the, the national seeds have five team regionals. I think that's an absolute must. I'm glad you brought that up. Look, look at Jay Stradamus over here. Listen, Seriously. After, the, after this call, <laughs> you got to go find, you know, Josh and, and Wes and tell him, hey, you guys are winning a national championship. Next year. That's what you got to do because apparently you got some powers here. Well, I'm, not, yeah, I don't know, I'm, I'm as nice to my assistants. As the I'm Zen master. <laughs> he's like he's like the new Augie. He's a Zen master. That's yeah. right. That's right. Uh, you know, I, it's kind of interesting. We talk about the postseason. Like I was just talking to a couple of coaches the other day about this, that, you know, when you look at like the next five or the next six teams, like I actually feel like from a postseason standpoint, like the next five or the next six that didn't get in, like you could see those teams making a run, whereas like past those teams, you're kind of like there, there is a drop off. Like there is a drop off after you get to six or seven. So I like the idea of adding, you know, five to seven, eight teams, because I think after that, there's a sizable drop off. And the other thing for me, Jay, and I don't know how you feel about this one, but I actually love the idea of turning the postseason into three game series and, and having more host sites. I think if you're, you know, if you're, you know, Sherrard Clink, Clink skills at the Indiana State you know, a couple of years ago, they would have hosted in a, in a 32 host format. Uh, if you're in college baseball, we're growing at the pace that we're growing. We're wanting 80s to put you know more money into coaches, more money into scholarships. You've got to be able to sell that product to more athletic directors around the country. And what way do you do that? It's by having a regional at Indiana State. It's by having a regional in Carbondale at uh, Southern Illinois. So uh, I love that idea. Yeah, I, I think uh, I'm on both sides of it. I mean, the whole college baseball traditionalist, whatever you want to call it, I, mean, I love the regional. Like that, that is like one of my favorite yeah. weekends of the year. You're there with three other great programs, great coaches. Some of the best games or, or biggest wins I've had have been in NCAA regionals. And so there's that part of it. Then there's a the side of it of it protects the pitching, which is mm-hmm. probably the most important thing. If you go to the three game series, it's the same model as you're playing throughout the regular season. I think it would add a week of the postseason and more college playoff baseball is awesome. So I, I could see both sides of it. And 
I've never been one to like worry about what the rules are or what they aren't. Like, just tell me what we're working with and, and we'll try to go be good within those. So if you guys think it's a good thing, I think it's a good thing. I also like that we could start to market pitching matchups. Like I, I 72 is a magic number for me. Like we could bring in, you know, we could do eight teams do a play in like the top eight seeds. Now, not only do they host all the way to Omaha, but those top eight seeds, they have a playing game on Thursday night at their place. So that gives them another advantage in theory. Teams have to use their number one to advance. Mm-hmm. I like the T I like the thought of leagues, not just always going Owen two and getting their teeth kicked in. And, you know, like I, I like, hey, even if you go one and two, like that's really, I don't know. I, I think that the extra week is a real thing. We all get that. The, you know, like that's, that would be, um, that would be a big leap for a lot of different parties. Uh, but man, I think, hey, it's another week of squeeze play selfishly. I think that would be amazing. Probably get fired from my day job for that. But that's, you know, <laughs> we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. So, Jay, this was awesome, man. Really, really appreciate it. Um, Good luck with your 1,500 fan fall scrimmages and yeah. games. It'll probably be 3,000 by the end of the fall, I would imagine. Do you, yeah. do you, what, what's your outside competition situation, Jay, for the fall? Yeah, we have uh, November 6th. We're going to play McNeese at home. Uh, that'll be the Sunday after we play Alabama in football. So the design of that was hopefully to get some of the spillover crowd the next morning for that game. And then we'll go over and play uh, – uh, UL Lafayette on November 13th and get on the bus and go over and play coach Diggs and those guys. Jay, yeah, we're, we're going to help you with that. It's not McNeese. It's Mac niece. There we go. Kendall is coach Fitzy and I up on that over yeah, the years. Kendall's the only one who, who calls it Mac niece, but we all have, have <laughs> taken, we've embraced that. Well, okay. all, I, all I know is Justin Hill is a good coach and they're a really good program. That's right. Go folks. Tips lately, so. I can I can also tell you right now there will be more than fifteen hundred people at the scrimmage in Lafayette, and they will care about that scrimmage. No, that yeah, that'll be a great that'll be a great atmosphere for a fall scrimmage. I was at a scrimmage last week, and it was like two batters into the game, and you can guess where this was if you look at my recent travel calendar. Two batters into the game, they're already riding the umpire, <laughs> and, and meeting this fall scrimmage that does not count. They're calling him a bozo. I mean, it was awesome. <laughs> That, that, hey, our fans are doing that in inner squads, and I love them for it. So. That's it. Oh, so great. Very cool. Jay, we'll, we'll see you down the, the line. We really appreciate it. Every, you know, clearly people <laughs> super excited about LSU baseball. I mean, there, there is just an absolute palpable buzz around your program right now. And um, it, it's awesome. It's, hey, the, the bottom line is this college baseball is better when LSU is, is not just good, but LSU is prominent. And you certainly have the program um headed in that direction in a big time way so uh yeah really appreciate it and we'll catch you down the road mr johnson all right guys thanks for having me on thanks Thanks, 